Hello and welcome to Getting to Grow, the podcast dedicated to unearthing the stories of some of the best brands in the food and wellness space, hosted by myself and Sam. Each episode we chat to founders, experts and industry professionals who each have their own personal journeys. We discover how they built their business, what's next and everything in between. This episode we spoke to Julia Kessler, co-founder of Nixon Kits. We chat to Julia about how she met her business partner Kirsten and how they're taking on the competitive soft drinks category with a range of delicious products that certainly pack a punch. So welcome to the podcast, um, Julia, thank you so much for taking your Tuesday evening out to chat to us. We're just here to talk about you, how kind of Nixon and Kicks came to be. Um, I was actually introduced to Nixon and Kicks, well, I think it was about a year and a half ago now. And um, I was out in Covent Garden and I went into the Tesco Metro there. And I'm a bit like, I do love a Diet Coke. So I was like, I need to kind of wean myself off having Diet Coke. So I know obviously it's super bad for you and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I want something that's got like a bit of natural energy, but also tastes really yum. And you guys were on promo. So I was like, oh, I'll give you a try. And I absolutely loved it. And then, I, as I said, I brought it home to Sam and he is now converted as well. So it is delicious. And I, yeah, I really enjoy it. So super excited to have you on. Um and just from looking at kind of your website and doing a bit of research on you, um, it'd be really interesting to understand how you met your business partner. I understand from doing some Instagram digging that you met on a plane to London. Um, so, um, so yeah, it'd just be really interesting to understand that and, and just hear your story. Great. No, excited to be on the podcast. Thanks so for inviting me and, and Sam. Really excited to be here. Um, yeah, how did I meet my business partner? So, as I probably tell from accent, I'm originally from Germany and uh, many, many decades ago, um, I was moving to London for doing my, my business degree and I happened to move on the same date as my business partner who was also moving to the UK. And at the time, it was really funny, at the time you were still allowed to take 30 kilos when you were moving countries. So there we were with a big, massive, oversized backpack and, and a suitcase and and just, yeah, traveling together for our new venture. Being German, I obviously uh, needed uh, some German food. So Kerstin knew exactly where I needed to go, which was I was living in shortage when it wasn't cool. It was still just rough, um, <laughs> not gentrified yet. Kerstin was living in Clapham, a little bit different. So I was venturing all the way to, to Clapham to buy a German fruit from a German retailer to then take that all back on the train um, back to Shoreditch. It's a trip I only did once, um, obviously. But yeah, so that's how we met. So we met, um, we met in, in Nuremberg, where she's from. I'm, I'm from the east of Germany. And that is how, how we got to know each other. That's really exciting. It's also like total chance encounter and it's obviously fantastic you guys remained like such good friends to obviously come up with the idea to start a drinks brand so that's my next question how did you guys come up with the idea was it like a I kind of a light bulb moment yeah it wasn't it wasn't quite a light bulb moment I think what um given that we both originally from Germany in Germany it's it's totally normal when you say to your friends that hey let's meet up after work and the expectation is never, absolutely never, that that, that means drinking. 
it's just we meet up after work we okay, might meet up like after so work. different from the uk <laughs> yeah just a bit so you know people would either have a coffee or a tea they might have a glass of wine or two but uh, it's not that expectation that meeting up after work means drinking and then as Kirsten and I were getting a little bit older we were like okay maybe let's not drink tonight but then we always were quite disappointed with the options because it like everything was either full of sugar or artificial ingredients there's only so much cranberry juice you can drink without vodka in it so we were a bit like well that's not good and then we also, one of our best friends at the time, he he didn't drink alcohol at all. And and we were sitting at that bar and he was telling us that story of, you know, I really struggle, you know, finding a girlfriend. We're like, oh, we wonder why that is. And there he was sitting with his big oversized glass of cranberry juice at the bar. And we're like, well, maybe that's the issue. So... <laughs> So then, and then the other thing, which, so Kerstin and I, we both worked in big corporate. So she worked in, in banking. Um, I worked in, in telecommunication for, for big corporates. And then we could always observe that in the afternoon, you have that craving, don't you? So people crave all sorts of stuff in the afternoon from muffins to, you know, if they think at the time, if they want to be a bit healthier, it was smoothies and smoothies were always, you know, sort of the go-to for people who want to be healthier, but also wanted to treat. And then what we always could observe was that sugar spike, right? They would have it and then they would bounce, bouncing around for like an hour. And then there's that sugar slam, which just takes you down again. So they were like, okay, so going out, not drinking alcohol is not fun, and and also in the afternoon there must be something which like a lot of people they don't want to drink um anything caffeinated in the afternoon just because you know people then start bouncing for too long so so that's really when we when we thought like okay there must be something better we had absolutely no idea on how to make a drink um we were just experimenting in Kerstin's kitchen with all sorts of different weird and wonderful flavors and then, and then we realized that actually if you use cayenne, which is now part of all of our ingredients of all flavors, if you use cayenne, it makes the adult, it makes the flavor profile a bit more adult without using anything artificial. And it has a really great natural side effect because actually cayenne is um, immune boosting and metabolism boosting. So it lifts you up in a natural way without any nasty side effects. And, and that is how we came up with it. So it was just lots and lots of different testing. We actually, uh, we, we tried to, to sell a soft drink in winter in markets. That goes really well. Can highly recommend doing that. Um, worked like shit, basically sold nothing, but, um, <laughs> but we got at least a, a bit of feedback. Um, but yeah, that's how we started it. And, and yeah, moving forward, uh, nearly seven years on um that is what what's still be holding true to us is is that you know kind is really the secret source of all of our ingredients yeah that's really interesting actually because i saw on your website that you mentioned like the botanical aspect um of the drinks and i am relatively like holistic and healthy and i try and you know incorporate lots of different things into my diet to make sure that i'm you know getting getting lots of benefits so for me this is a really interesting one that i think and I guess lots of people that listen to the podcast are clearly food is interested. So, so this is, yeah, it's really interesting that you were able to 
create something out of like actually like a food ingredient and put it in a drink I think it's quite unique and it's quite special and it obviously works and it, it's been brought to market so so yeah that's a really really interesting story what I like what I like about the the next kicks brand and I'm a, a self-confessed fan of your drinks I think they're awesome but what I really like about them is there is the kind of you know it's a Nixon kicks drink and I think that's something kind of quite unique to you guys and I think it stems from the fact that you've got consistent ingredients across you know all of your different flavors regardless of, mm-hmm. you know a can or a, or a bottle or whatever you can tell that it's a Nixon and kicks drink and and I think that's a really interesting point I mean we we were talking to uh to Ellie uh the founder of Caleno which is a um non-alcoholic uh spirit uh, and we were just talking about, you know, the kind of whole alcohol free thing. And it didn't I mean, it did cross my mind that Nixon and Kicks might be a replacement uh, to, you know, drinking. But for me, it's kind of more whenever I have one. It's definitely that kind of mid afternoon pick me up kind yeah. of Diet Coke sort of replacement type thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we are we are both very bad with uh, with Diet Coke and, you know, it, it's not good uh, or other brands are available. Um, but, um, but it's really, I think it's definitely a conscious thing that we go, oh, we shouldn't, you know, we really shouldn't drink so much of, of that sort of stuff. And it's, you know, it's all the nasty ingredients that are in there, whether mm-hmm. it's sugar or it's a sugar-free version. It's all of those nasty stuff. And there's definitely a play. And, you know, there's been loads of success stories with kind of, I guess, what who you would class as competitors, right? Um, uh, kind of within this space. Um, but I think it's just really interesting that you guys, the thing that's unique about you is that kind of the KN element and the kind of unique mm. ingredients that sits across all of your range, because I can't really think of many others uh, yeah. that have that. Yeah, I think as well, it's, it's, you have to, especially with coronavirus and like not, not even coronavirus, but before that, you know, the wellness space was booming and people were really interested in like kind of finding altern- alternative ways to boost their mood naturally so I think it's a really great product that's come into the space that people have able been able to like have as kind of that um you know that pick me up without the nasties um so my next question for you guys is how how did you go from like idea to sort of launch in terms of did you was it around a sort of friends and family for investment um and and how did that how did that like transition of be like right we've got the idea let's start making it and then obviously getting it into market. Yeah, so that was that was actually a very interesting aspect and journey for us because we we obviously we underestimated totally how much money you need to get get an idea off the ground and um, and also how much you can realistically charge for a beverage. So so I remember our one of our first customers was actually Vialbian and, and Shortage. And in Vialbian, we sold one bottle for five pounds and people bought it. And now thinking back, it's like, wow, like it's crazy that that actually happened. But <laughs> uh, people people did buy it, but not not many, as you can imagine. So so getting getting your margins right and getting the product to a level where you can produce it cost effectively and make some money yourselves and not out be outpriced in the market. That was quite a long journey and, and that cost quite a lot of money to get that right. So what we what we have done is Kassana, we actually have invested quite a lot of our own money initially. And then we uh, 
we actually we got an innovation voucher it's actually something which i would recommend to everyone is it's such a great initiative from the government um it's like the lottery which everybody wins and um and it, it's great because you get i can't remember the amount but you get money to then use for um anything really and we used that for our first production run and we we did our first produ production one we produced it for the london coffee festival which is where we officially sort of launched and we sold out on day two or day three like we were literally sold out which was insane so so that filled us with confidence enough confidence because until then you're always with like will people actually buy it but on at the London Coffee Festival, we had quite a lot of coffee shop owners who actually wanted to stock it. Mm. And, and that filled us with, with confidence that now is the right time to actually ask for a bit more money. So then we, uh, we did our first angel round and it was a mix of friends and family, but also a couple of really good industry people. So, so yeah, so that was our first sort of round. Cool. And I, I'll definitely, because I want to talk about uh, your, your recent funding as well, your crowdfunding with Cedars, um, but we'll come on to that later. Um, how, because obviously, you know, it, you go from the idea to creating your first production run to launching it at a coffee festival or wherever. How, how was your journey kind of towards into retail because uh, obviously now, you know, I think I read you guys are in over seven and a half thousand outlets or something crazy like that, which is phenomenal, right? And, you know, across two like various different markets, not just the UK. How do you go about or how did you go about kind of securing, you know, the big retail accounts? Because I guess, especially at that time when direct consumer uh, was was less of a important channel, uh, retail was obviously, you know, the, the big thing, right? How did you go about winning those big retail accounts? Yeah, it's interesting because actually when Cass and I started the business, we actually didn't want to go into retail because we obviously we had absolutely no idea about the industry when we started it. We were just driven by the passion of making people drink better. And and retail was something which we were really scared about, to be honest, because we were hearing all of those horror stories of, oh, you know, retailer X, they, they just drop you overnight and... And that got a lot of people bankrupt and we're like, oh my God, we don't, definitely don't want that to happen. Um, but interestingly, we had quite a lot of retailers interested from the get-go, especially the biggest in the UK. They were interested from very, very early stage, actually. And and we actually and initially didn't really pursue it because of that. Um, but... But then we initially, we eventually thought, like, okay, well, Okada wants to list us, so let's go for it. Then Selfridges want to list us, so that was good because that gives you that step of approval that people like you. And and then from there, we um, we had quite a lot of coffee shops. And, and the thing is actually coffee shops are great. You know, they're my favorite types of customer. They're so great. And, and I love... A lot of them are small business owners, so they, you know, they set up their own business and they, they're, they're really lovely to work with. I absolutely love that. The challenge is being a soft drink, you get to sort of November. And guess what? Who goes to a coffee shop in November? Well, people who want to drink a hot beverage, they don't want a cold soft drink. So after my after our first year of or second year of being really successful, we had about, I think, 250 independent coffee shops on the books. Um, then you suddenly lose that 
type of income in November. And we're all like, you know, I, I think we lost 75% of our customer base in November. And we're all like, yeah, come back in spring. And I'm like, oh my God, well, that means six months of no, no revenue. Yeah. Um, we quickly learned that what we need to do is diversify and we can't just be dependent on one channel. So that was really the key moment where we said, okay, we need a multi-channel strategy. And that's incredibly complicated and expensive, but it actually pays off in the long run. And, and that's when we picked up the conversation with big retailers. So we, and actually it was really quick. We, we went from Mercado to Selfridges to Waitrose to Tesco's. And uh, Touchwood, we haven't lost a single one of them. That's and, so amazing. And yeah, and, I, I, yeah, it is, it is. Um, but I think it comes back to the point you, you mentioned earlier. We, are, we aren't the me too. We aren't just, you know, a better elderflower lemonade or a better, you know, yeah. appetizer. We actually something uh, quite, quite different and we are, we're quite true what we are. I mean, if I, if I think about all the people who told us along the way that we shouldn't put chili in it or we should put more in it or like it's, it's incredible how many people have an opinion about your product. Of course, yeah. um, and, and I think what, what we did is we, we just stayed true to what we do. And, and that is actually what, and, and we're very data driven, we're incredibly data driven. So we know exactly what, what's currently uh, trending and what the retailers need. We, we pay a lot of attention to that and we can speak their language. So, so we learned how to speak their language. So we know exactly that, um, you know, like for example, one retailer, they have like five family names and we know all of them and we know exactly with what family we're over-indexing, which, which, which family member we bring to the proposition and to the category. And, and that really helps. And then when you, you know, we, and we're not greedy either. So we never asked for, you know, we want to be in, I don't know, 2000 Tesco stores because reality is I probably wouldn't sell in 1000 mm. at least. Yeah. And, and I think, and I'm, I much rather do a really great performance in 500 stores than a poor performance in 1500. And I think that really pays off. Yeah. I think is, I was going to say, obviously that's, I think, where you guys are now, but let's hope that you get, you know, such good, great brand awareness in the coming years that obviously that you do get that distribution and you do send in the 2000 stores. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but, but still like a, you know, like we're launching with a big convenience retailer later on this year. And, and again, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, not even a quarter of the amount of stores, but it's going to be right quality of stores. And I think that is, um, that is what really sets us apart. We're not greedy. We, we rather build the right distribution, right rate of sale for the right customer, as opposed to, you know, build a shitty rate of sale in, in too many stores. Yeah, I think that's really important because retailers want to see um, like proven track records and stuff. So when you go propose it to other retailers and potential like um, international offers, you can say, look, we have a proven track record of like incremental distribution, which is then you know, been incremental revenue and paid off. So, so yeah, that that's, I, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a fantastic also, way to look at it. I guess also, you know, there's, and as you said, Julia, you guys are different to, you know, other, you know, sort of competitors in the space, right? You're not a, another, 
appetizer or another apple and elderflower sparkling drink you know you you have a unique thing and so there's around that there's obviously a you know consumer education piece that they are not used to seeing products like yours obviously you've been in the market a certain amount of time but I think you'll there's often things and kind of barriers not necessarily bad ones that you have to kind of go through to kind of get that long-term growth and become you know this big you know product and brand that I guess you hope you're going to be in the long term but there's that educational kind of you know this is why we're you know unique and this is the product and you know you might never have seen this before but give it a try uh, whereas you know if I don't know hope bring out a new uh, non uh, a new sugar-free flavor of their of their drink there's that they don't necessarily have to do that if you know what I mean Oh, no, absolutely. Trial is everything. And encouraging trial is, is probably the biggest key because like in our case, for example, we know that we have an above the average repeat rate, which is great. But then we first need to get more and more people to drink it for the first time. Mm. And, and that is definitely the trickiest point for sure. And, and especially last year, I mean, that was just immensely challenging to get people yeah. to try it the first time. So le- leading on to that, actually, and we'll, we'll go on to COVID in a minute, but how did you, so how did you get people to like know about you initially? Did you, did you do lots of sampling? Did you kind of, um, you know, get, get stands at events? How did you gain momentum within your brand awareness? Yeah, I mean, we, we're still learning. I think um, it's, it's still tricky. I think now with direct to consumer and, and social, it's, it's a lot easier to create that awareness piece. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, my biggest learning is you, you spend money where you are. Um, I think too much money is often wasted for, for marketing ideas where, you know, you, you might do an event, great. But then where do those people go, especially if you don't have significant distribution? So for us, actually, you know, whenever we can, we partner with a retailer directly or we partner with um, even an out of home, you know, with casual dining chains, like, some of the casual dining chains, they, they do like, if you order X, you get Y for free. So instead of being included in that, uh, that really helps. And, and then just um, on shelf, you know, try, try and look good. I, I think, but, and, and we learned that the hard way. Like I <laughs> obviously having never done that, like our initial launch into Tesco was in ugly brown boxes because we didn't consider that obviously, I mean, now in, in hindsight, obviously we don't do that, but you know, I was naive enough to think that they're going to unpack the product onto the shelf. They, they obviously don't. So no. Um, <laughs> yeah. The SRPs are so important. So important. So important. And it's amazing. Like even, you know, I, I'm always fascinated when I walk any sort of retail shop and I still see, ugly brown boxes from big big brands and I'm like wow like even they get it wrong but it's it's those those sort of things I think are massively worth it to really invest Mm. into a good SRP into good shelf presence into good visibility of your brand um, because that is where the shopper is already yeah I think for anyone listening um now um, next time you walk through your local Tesco Sainsbury's or you're doing your weekly shop, have a look at actually what the product is sitting in. Because for brands, um, obviously working in the beef space, it's a massive branding opportunity. Like it really tells people about the brand and Tesco. Yeah, they don't. And other retailers, they don't tend to sometimes rip the box or show the product. So having like a really lovely um, 
kind of tray or however your product comes a box or whatever it is 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 really important so yeah keep an eye out for that um and then my last question with regards to like startup and and that kind of thing and then we'll move on to like the present and how you've obviously had to diversify with the coronavirus but obviously an interesting one for me being a woman um i think it's still very much a man's world out there unfortunately um but there you know we're changing and there's lots of things um you know women in the industry are really making making a voice for themselves now so what was it like being I guess two women um initially you know asking for kind of funding um but also just like being taken seriously because when we were speaking to Ellie she mentioned that that was the hardest thing that she found that people just kind of were a bit like oh you know what what is this without kind of coming off in the sense that can you kind of do this so yeah how was your experience with that yeah, it's an interesting one, and I've been asked, or we've been asked about a lot recently. Um, I think because of International Women's Day and and yeah. you know, funding being a problem, and and obviously, like when you read the statistics, I mean, it's horrendous, right? Like in in twenty nineteen, Harvard Business Review shared an article where where basically only two point eight percent of funding is going to women led startups. And in 2020, it actually fell down to 2.3%. <clears throat> so when you hear those sort of statistics, it's absolutely shocking. And But I guess, um, you know, Kerstin worked in banking and I worked in operations. And uh, by, by default, we were predominantly surrounded uh, by, by male colleagues. And, and I guess we never, we never realized that um, there is actually that that conflict of being a woman and and in that industry i think the first time we realized it and it's actually i mean it's 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 my favorite story now but it was horrendous at the time um Cass and i we were actually invited we 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 won the world beverage award innovation award and uh were invited to that uh trade show in in bavaria and and then there was that woman and she um she was basically selling massage chairs for the office and um and you could have like a free trial session basically and Cass and i we went for it and and enjoyed it and, and it was really cool like they had like you know a device you closed your eyes and it was really cool uh with music and all and then afterwards um she basically the woman at the stand she gave us her business card and she said um, where's the business card? Maybe you want to take that back to your boss. And, and, and we were like, we just looked at each other and we were like handing the business card back to each other because we're like, okay, well, yeah. there you go, boss. Um, so, so I think it, it's definitely, you know, sometimes it is still an issue, but um, I think yeah. for us, it was, it was never the, maybe we were disadvantaged, but for us, I mean, we never approached it that way. And, and also I, I'm, I, I actually struggle personally to talk about, oh, I'm a great female leader. I, I, I actually just want to be a great leader, uh, mm. no matter the gender. And um, mm. actually most of my mentors, actually nearly all of my mentors are, are men and I love work, learning from them. And, but I equally had a lot of great, great leaders I worked for in the past who were women. And, I think I think that that needs to change. I think we need to just talk about you know great leaders and not whether they're female or of color or like what makes them a great leader. Is it really the gender or is it actually what they do? Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting because um, I've kind of had both. I've had a woman 
um, leader and a, and a man leader. And like they have very different kind of styles of how they lead, but actually the ones that that make the most impact for me, regardless of gender, as you say, are actually the ones that sort of like ask you how they can help you rather than saying, um, oh, like this is what I need from you and telling you all the time. It's kind of like, actually, you know, I'm leading you. So what do you need from me to become better? And I think that's really key. Yeah, we're totally regardless of the gender. It's, um, you know, it, it's what they can do for you, I sometimes think. And, I've, and I'm lucky at Coconut Cloud, we've got James the leader, but then obviously we've got, we are predominantly like a team of females. Um, so we probably need some more men in the business. <laughs> um, which is an interesting one because obviously it's kind of not that way really in the real world. No, I know. And and, and I think, I mean, it, it does make me sad because like whenever we hire, um, there are actually not a lot of um, people with diversity applying. And I don't know if it's an industry problem or... Yeah. But yeah, you, you, you sort of get the majority of a sort of same type of personalities. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, I, I would love to have more more diversity in the industry in general, but, but yeah. it doesn't have to be too much. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a really interesting one. Actually, I haven't thought about it. Like, obviously, just the day-to-day of me working in the food industry, you're right. I, I do come up against the same sort of... Um, like caliber of people at events and then other brands and stuff like that so so yeah i think we could definitely the food industry's definitely got some work to do with diversity um for sure so kind of moving on to covid um the big fat c word how has coronavirus affected your business and what has what kind of stuff have you had to sort of rapidly adapt to i guess being a small small company and small team it's hopefully it's not been um you know too much in terms of like strategy changes but um but yeah team changes or what what have you found yeah i mean it's been i mean i guess we've been faced with challenges all around um i mean drinks is just um drinks is very complicated i i totally underestimate or we totally underestimated how how difficult it is to not just make drinks, but also all the rules and regulations. We obviously, you know, we had the sugar tax coming in. We have um, a deposit system scheme around the corner coming in. Um, there are all sorts of, of legal regularity requirements, which um, they constantly throw you curveballs anyway. Then we, we obviously, we had Brexit for a very long time, which, yeah. you know, made... I feel like people forgot about Brexit. Coronavirus came along, people were like, Brexit, what? Yeah, exactly. But Fuck actually, me, when you think about it... Brexit, didn't. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but Brexit actually, you know, that threw us constant curveballs and constantly forced us to challenge our planning and and getting set up for the, fr- for the future. And I guess because of that, we... When COVID happened, we obviously it was a big shock and we were like, right, we need to act fast. And we, we acted faster when actually a furlough scheme come, come into play. But we, um, I think we're quite good in managing risk and responding to it. And obviously from a business point of view, it was, it was terrible. We, we, we lost all of our out of home um, revenue, which was you know, nearly half of our revenue. And and that was really, really difficult. But one of the things which was really our focus was trying to keep the team together and get us through it together. And 
I mean, thank God for the furlough scheme because we, we did use it. And mm. otherwise we wouldn't have been able to keep everyone along the journey. Because what I didn't want to do is what obviously some businesses have done. And obviously every, every business makes their own decisions. But what I didn't want to do is, um, you know, let, let half of the team go. And then only a year later, I have to hire them again. And, mm. and I think that was... That was key for us. And, and I think the other thing is, is just planning. You just have to get really good at scenario planning and, and getting really informed. Um, so I was in a very uh, sad call uh, once a week where I just learned about uh, all the upcoming risks due to coronavirus and mm. how coronavirus is, is developing across the world and how it's impacting channels across the world. And you know, that, that wasn't fun hours for sure, but yeah. it gave you a good, good sort of insight into how other countries are responding to it. Yeah. And I guess that's always the key is like um, try and, you know, try to learn as much as possible in both situations. I mean, mm. you, you're bound to get it wrong and we got some things wrong, but um, we actually used the time quite wisely. And that, that was the other thing for us. It was like actually quite good in a way for us. It was like a mini reset because we were able to, get our rebrand done finally, which we worked on for a very long time. We managed to set up direct to consumer pretty much overnight yeah. um, and build that up from scratch. We, we set up Amazon pretty much overnight and built that up from scratch. And we now have a completely new channel, which we didn't have until, until the yeah. crisis. I think those channels now, I don't think even with coronavirus coming and going and stuff, I don't think they'll go. I think, you know, people ordering online and Amazon will always be a, a place that um, consumers will definitely shop. So I think that was, and we, we as well, like being a yogurt brand, like we're chilled, like it's really difficult, but we even set up a DTC, which, you know, has its big, you know, downfall with, with being chill brand. It's very expensive to send that kind of stuff. And a yogurt is kind of like, a, you buy one, you have it for a week, you don't tend to buy them in sixes. So that's been a challenge, you know, from our side as well. But yeah, I think that the having the Amazon and that kind of the online retailers is, is so important now um and how how's your kind of sales split between sort of retail and out of home was it more as you said i know you said that retail was never in kind of the plan to start with but obviously diversifying you, you had to so how how would you say that split and and if you've got any like cool casual dining chains that you can um drop in so that we come we know where to get you guys when we got <laughs> dinner uh yeah i mean retail now is is, is about like half of our business actually wow. and um and then out of home out of home was uh, nearly 30 percent and then international 20 percent but that now shifted a little bit um but that's what that's the sort of split we actually like to have like it's a good split and it's not too dependent on one channel but but actually what you get with with Rita is is distribution and brand awareness as well. Um, so that's that's good. In terms of casual dining, yeah, we we're in the largest uh, chicken chain in the UK. <laughs> um, but actually I don't know if it's the largest because there might be others which are lower profile, but but it's definitely the most popular chicken shop chain um they launched uh, a plant-based version last year and as, as part of that launch because because we're a vegan soft drink and we make sure that our whole so supply chain is end-to-end -end is um not contaminated with any animal products yeah um, as part of that launch they launched us on their menu as well and uh, yeah that that's a really great collaboration 
Coming back to the the direct consumer piece, because we we were talking to um, to Henry from from Misfits Health, and he was saying that obviously you know the pandemic to a certain extent has kind of accelerated the growth in that area. I mean, it was already growing rapidly, uh, but it's kind of accelerated it even further at a quicker pace. Um, do you think that you know your you, the sort of direct consumer Amazon type uh, ecom side of your business will continue to grow is it something that you guys are focused on oh no it's definitely something we're going to focus on and, and we want to continue to grow but like Zoe alluded to I mean shipping a drink is incredibly heavy um for for the price point so we you know we we, we even get customers we're like well you know why are you not cheaper than in Tesco well that's because Tesco buys a whole pallet and put it on shelf and you know we have to repack it to make it to make it shippable um so i think the key is is to build it in a profitable way uh it's easy to just grow direct to consumer for the sake of it and not actually make money in the end um so so now we we're figuring that out and we, we now found a way to to do that but we, um, we didn't want to over-invest until we actually figured out that we, we still make a profit at the end of the day. And, and now we do. Now we know that. Now we're going to grow it. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's definitely something to always watch out for because it's, it's quite easy to say like, oh, yeah, I invest, I don't know, 500 pounds a month into Facebook campaigns. And yeah, you might grow your following. Great. But how many out of those followers are actually then ordering you or walking in the shop and mm. buying you? So I think that's really key to to always bear that in mind and and always focus on you know your KPIs and your return on investment spend. Yeah, I mean my my role at the Coconut Collaborative is to kind of the field sales and marketing manager, and the one thing I constantly come up against, and it's really hard, is to track sampling rate um, return on investment because I can't necessarily put like a camera on Bill who tried it in um, when we sampled in Tesco, for example. But then he went home to his house in, in, sorry, he tried it in the Tesco in Covent Garden, went home to his house in St. Albans and bought it in the Waitrose. Like, it's so difficult to track that kind of stuff. So um, it's really, in, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point because it's something that like word of mouth, it's like literally untrackable. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, I guess you just have to, you have to, you have to do the investment as well. Um, but also, yeah, keep, keep close to your, keep close to your KPIs. Moving on to kind of the future, I guess, um, apart from growing your direct consumer channels, um, I guess most people, when we, when we ask this question, you know, I guess it's the kind of standard, more markets, different product, innovation. Um, I guess for you guys, I mean, you've already done quite a lot of that, but I guess, is it sort of more of the same or are there any kind of grand plans to do anything drastically different? Yeah, so I think what, what, what is exciting for us is... Um, is really we're looking at the, at the convenience channel this year. It's actually, um, um, I think you asked the question at the beginning, you know, has the, has the strategy changed? The strategy hasn't changed, but we have definitely decided to pull in unlocking convenience sooner. Um, because what, what we have seen in the UK especially is that the convenience channel has managed to attract a much more premium shopper, but they don't have a premium offering. So I think it's definitely mm. a really good one to go after. So I'm really excited about that. And and we actually hired uh, somebody who knows that, that channel inside out. So that's what I'm really excited about for the UK. 
plus I'm just excited about the 17th of May when things are opening again <laughs> and yeah. um, oh, no. <laughs> and an trade and you know be like out of home is really you know like it's such a great channel to work with and I just hope that maybe you can see some traction there again and then in terms of um, big business strategies like we are actually having a really great um, agreement with with the US we have a distributor agreement um, with a direct-to-consumer business out there. And they have 200,000 active ordering customers a month on their books, which we can tap into. So, yeah, so that's really exciting because um, we, we obviously, I guess everybody always wants to go to the States. But it's easy to go to the States and spend a lot of money and not make any money. And... Yeah. And now that with the, with the partner we found, I think that that could be really really exciting. Um, but it it doesn't put too much risk on the business. So so yeah, so that's mm. that's super exciting. So hopefully we we're going live. The planned go live date is in June. So so yeah, really excited about that. And I guess as part of that, and I alluded to it earlier, you've you've recently I don't know if it's finished at this point yet, but you've recently done some funding through Cedars. Um, do you want to just explain a bit about sort of why you guys did that and what, you know, how that process worked and what benefits it has? And then I guess ultimately how it's going to help you in the long term. Oh, no, absolutely. So we actually, um, it's not, it's not completely closed yet. Um, so there's still an opportunity to, to invest, but, but yeah, the, the reason why we, we obviously we've been approached by, by crowdfunding platforms for whole time and, we didn't want to do that until we are confident that we actually have enough distribution because obviously the crowd is great if you can get the crowd to actually buy you um, on a regular basis because mm. the crowd is great when you when you have we now have over 350 investors on the books if those 350 you know buy it for I don't know birthday parties and and other events and share it with their friends and they they're going to be proud and say like, hey, I'm actually an investor in that company. You know, you want to be available. And for us, now that we have 7,500 distribution points, we're sufficiently available that people can buy us. And, yeah. and that's, that was the, the point where we said like, oh, actually, you know, I think now is a good moment to go to the crowd. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's a very hard process you have to be I mean when people say it's a full-time job they're not lying it is a full-time job it's really really hard work and and thank god there's two of us um so Kerstin has done a smashing job like managing all of those investors and inquiries and um there's you know we have a public forum and there were some really wild commentary on there and that has to be managed so so yeah, it's it's really it's it's hard work, but the reward are amazing because um, you know it's it's people who wouldn't who I wouldn't even personally necessarily approach because they're maybe ex colleagues or friends or but but because we are on a crowdfund platform, um, they have invested and that's just so cool to to see that and get that trust from a from a crowd. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just my last question, which I should have definitely asked you in the beginning, but it's just come to me now. 
And why Nixon kicks? What what's the reason behind the name? <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's 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 always funny because we're always like wild guesses as to why that name, you know, if, if one is called maybe Nikki and and we have one we can't figure out. But but yeah, no, it's not bad. So it's not bad <laughs> at all. Actually in in German, Nix means nothing. And that is because we, from the get-go, we said we, all of our drinks are refined, sugar-free. There's nothing artificial in the product. Mm-hmm. We're, we're vegan. We're as sustainable as possible. Um, we don't use any PET in our cans. So so that's that's just our ethos. And then the kicks is um, is from the Cayenne. Because if you if you do all of that, I, I always find it funny nowadays, brands always pitch like that. They're always like, yes, yeah, refined, sugar-free, and it's vet-free, and vet-free, and vet-free. And by the way, it's also gluten-free. And 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 then I always wonder, like, and is it taste free or? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and and obviously that would be our case if we wouldn't put the cayenne in it. So the cayenne is the cakes. Yeah, makes sense. Um, well, it's totally delicious. Everyone trying, everyone listening, um, should definitely go and try it. We've just got a um, couple of quick fire closing round questions so there's five questions um just kind of like yes or no answers or like um just how you see fit basically but i'll start um so what is your favorite product that you've created to date one we actually don't have anymore which is peach and vanilla i absolutely love that flavor oh yeah that sounds good yeah Yeah. you'll have to bring it back yeah Yeah, i have to bring it back Um, what is your best bit of advice to someone who wants to start their own product or brand? I think my my number one advice is figure out what you're really great at and then hire people or you know work with people around you who who can help you closing mm-hmm. the gaps. Because I, I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to do it all and they want to do every aspect well. And um, the best advice I can give is just focus on what you're really great at. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. Um, and what of your favorite food or drinks brands at the moment? Other than obviously Nicks and Kicks. <laughs> um, I actually really like Dr. Wilts. I think it's really yeah. great what they're doing. And they oh, make really miso delicious tahini products. dressing is so good. Yeah, it's the die for for sure. Um, so yeah, I really like like the brand. Um, one thing, what's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career as a founder? That it takes twice as long. Anything you do takes twice as long. But you did it right, and I guess that's the. There's there's a lot of people out there, and I mean Zoe and I both have ideas to do things all the time, but then we kind of sit there and go, oh, nah. But you actually, you know, you had an idea, you had you found someone who wanted to do it with you, and you've gone and done it. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is just doing it. Let's talk more action. Yeah, that's actually that's so true because actually, um, you know, like actually it was was Kerstin who was the creative mind always on on ideas and. You know, for a long time, we were trying to do it along the side of, of our main job and we just had to quit and just go for it. Yeah. And um, um, what is your biggest failure to date and what did you learn from it? I think the biggest failure was really trying to make a drink on the kitchen table and then, and then bring that to a manufacturer and say, here you go, please replicate that <laughs> because it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, 
So, so anyone out there who has an idea, just work with a manufacturer from as soon as possible, because then you can develop it with your manufacturer. It will be so much smoother than mm. trying it the other way around. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been it's so interesting and also fabulous to have another female founder founder on Getting to Grow. Um, that's what I'm really championing for. So yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, where, and- where can people find you if, if they want to try your products? Yeah, so, so they can find us on um, obviously nixonkicks.com, Amazon, and then any of the big retailers. Cool. Go out and buy some. It's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you very much, Julia. Um, and we'll speak to you soon. Please remember to follow, subscribe and leave a review as it really supports what we do. See you guys next time.